This Blitz podcast is brought to you by Bravado Wireless. Available online at bravadowireless.com. Oh, we're not done because we're headed right back to that Oklahoma Ford dealers hotline here in just one second. Broadcasting live from the Ike's Chili House Studios, serving four generations of Tulsans since 1908. Let's welcome in Eli Letterman from the Tulsa World joining us now. Beat writer for the Oklahoma Sooners. What's up, Eli? How are you today, man? I'm doing pretty well. I got a tough, tough act to follow there with the doc. Yeah, sometimes, uh, indeed. You know, you got to follow people that are that are much. That's like me, like talking to anyone, because <laughs> everyone's smarter than I am. So it's always hard for me to follow up with that. Before we talk Sooners here, um, Penny, for your thoughts on the men's national team's performance from Saturday and the level of disappointment that exists inside of you. I think we talked last week. Did the term house money come up when we were talking last week about that game? Believe it did. So I don't, that shouldn't excuse what went down. And I think <laughs> there's plenty of disappointment. But the reality is the, the accomplishment and where they needed, at the very least, to get to was where they got to was advancing through the group stage. And then the U.S., who, who looked really bright in the group stage, but maybe looked a bit gassed, which is its own issue. And you can have questions about the style and the setup and Greg Burhalter, who, who may be hanging around longer than a lot of us maybe would like, uh, you know, they got to play Netherlands and were outclassed, outplayed. Louis Van Hall afterward basically said they didn't adjust at all. Uh, we kept attacking the same spots. And it, I think the disappointing part, and this is uh, certainly a bit of the U.S. men's national team history, is, you know, you have lamentable missed chances. We can go back to Chris Wondolowski in 2014, but – Christian Pulisic really early on had that chance where he looked offside. He was on, and you know if he puts that away, what kind of different game are we talking about? And then the goals they gave up were disappointing because they were all you know back post, cut back, that kind of stuff. But on the whole, every reason to be optimistic for four years down the road and, and where this team will be. But it was disappointing. I I thought uh, thought they might be able to stay a bit more organized against certainly one of the better teams in the world, but. Uh, four years down the road let's hope they can be well I think a couple of things in there with what you said um yes they did not adjust to it it was also a master class especially in the first half right about how to kind of force your will at times with them uh the way that the Dutch did uh the other thing too is yes missed opportunities in playing a, a team of the caliber of the Dutch you have to capitalize on them but it also forces you as well to limit your mistakes and by that I mean it's so minuscule of about what they can capitalize on because Dest has a really good first half and in a brief moment of feeling like that he's having to do everything offensively he gets lackadaisical for one second right just one second and then that's all it takes for the Netherlands to strike and then you know poor Jedi uh, Jedi got lost in the shuffle there. Um, he gets caught in no man's land. That results in another goal. It's just little things, right, that combine with that when you play a team of that caliber. And I was, quite frankly, I, I was I was disappointed. I'm happy that they qualified. I was disappointed in their performance against the Netherlands because I thought they could have been much better. I think that disappointment there, too, is that we maybe thought they were further along than they were or that we, we thought, they'd reached a point where they wouldn't get exposed in that way, even against one of the world's best. I think England should have given at least some confidence, the performance against England, that um, maybe the U.S. had taken a next step. And perhaps they have in some ways, 
there you go, case in point. Go play Netherlands in a knockout match and, and get exposed that way, and the youth gets exposed. And that's one thing you hope four years from now, that this team is more seasoned and experienced. That's one thing they certainly didn't have against Netherlands, and it was those veteran guys for Netherlands that just um, – that crushed them in all the spots they left open. The other thing, I think the challenge for whoever is managing this team at the next World Cup has to be creativity. It's not yes. a knock on, on the performances, but um, it just everything felt so difficult just trying to get the opportunities they got, and, and then it came down to finishing them. And, and it doesn't matter if you're talking Brazil or France or the U.S., you know, finishing in a World Cup game can come down to a matter of inches or, or just a little bit of class. But the creativity, and I think the task for the next manager is figuring out, or maybe it'll be Burhalter, figuring out how do you find a way to get at least one of uh, Gio Reyna or Brendan Aronson in while still playing that midfield, which might be the best thing that, that this team has right now. Oh, it feels like it's going to be Burhalter again for sure. Um, I'm not. Right. I'm just trying to, like, put it I'm in denial. Would be the, <laughs> the no, I, I completely understand. All right, uh, Eli Letterman is with us. Let's talk some Sooners here. You know, in all of the hubbub over the weekend about a coach being open and honest and being transparent, which Dion got that label with, with a lot of people from the excitement in his press conference at Colorado, then the videos that came out, uh, I thought Brent Venables kind of got left a little bit here in the conversation because Brent Venables has been pretty open, and at times you might even call him blunt about what's been happening with guys that were in the program this year in regards to the transfer portal. Um, things such as you know talking about guys that didn't contribute in any way regards to uh, any of their on-the-field play, I think was the quote that he used. Uh, that has seemed to be um, the the way that Brent Venables wants to continue to operate and, and good on him. And I think that that's what we're seeing now in some of the guys, right, the dozen or so guys that have jumped in the transfer portal, including another one today. Yeah, you are getting that honesty from Brent Venables, and you referenced it in his, uh, his Cheez-It Bowl press conference. I mean, if we remove Eric Gray, Wanya Morris, Anton Harrison, and Jalen Redmond from the conversation, the four – guys who heavily contributed who are all headed to the senior bowl and won't be playing against Florida state later this month. Brent Venables is right when he says that uh, really the only person, I think they're up to now 13, 14 guys in the portal uh, with Josh Ellison going this afternoon, only one of them, Theo Weiss uh, was even close to a regular contributor. And then, you know, Theo Weiss this year didn't quite have the year that the, the year many expected. So Brent Venables is right when he says that the, you know, and unlike other teams, even in the state, the guys they're watching going in the portal right now are not uh, guys who are either going to contribute or have contributed or, or really were expected to in the future. So that is big at the same time. Uh, a lot of the defensive back depth gone, mm-hmm. defensive line the same way. And we've all seen, and, you know, Deion Sanders might find some of this out in Boulder or he'll continue to, you know, surprise us all. Uh, but as the Sooners sign out this year, the, the transfer portal is not, a one-stop fix for everything. No. The Sooners can go get guys. And so they presumably will fill out that defensive back depth and that defensive line depth, and, and we'll find out if whoever they bring in does more in, the, in those spots than Jordan Mukes, Josh Eaton, Kendall Dennis in, in the secondary, and then up front uh, some of those linemen who are leaving, you know, who didn't do tons, but let's, let's see how they fill those holes because you can certainly focus on the fact that the departures are, are not guys who have contributed much, but – uh, learned. I mean, depth on defense was was probably 
the number one core issue for them at, at, the, at the end of the day. And so feeling that depth now, uh, I think, is going to be critical. And he even mentioned that, that they've been preparing for this with a, for a while because this is the last year to have the opportunity to sign more than 25 guys. But it, but it is complicated, and I like your point of it may not be a one-stop shop. We referred to it the other day, what, Matt, is the, uh, as the outlet mall uh, that you would go to, and you got to understand that some of those clothes are at the outlet mall, not just because they're on clearance, but because they might have a stitch here or there that's in the wrong place, which is how I would sum up the transfer portal. Because I had a coach tell me not too off long ago, look, they may be in the portal, but they're in the portal for a reason. So you always have to be careful about doing your due diligence on these guys. Certainly. And I'll say this, I've found some of my best purchases at the outlet mall. 100%. So they, they, Ask Lincoln about that because it worked out for him this year. Yep. And certainly, I mean, there, there were, I know there can be debate about Dylan Gabriel and the level to which he reached, but there's one portal gem for the Sooners this year. We know how important he, he was. CJ Colden, the other, Trey Morrison, Jeffrey Johnson, they, those guys played a lot. Uh, so so the, this coaching staff, you know, on their first offseason proved capable of bringing in. Um, meaningful contributors on the other end, Kanai Walker, um, L.B. Bunkley Shelton, J.J. Hester were not um, instant contributors um, coming from, from bigger, from big programs. And so a bit of a mixed bag from that first off season. And now you will we'll see what they do with the foundation of what they have and all that. They do already have Jacob Lacey coming from Notre Dame, the defensive lineman, uh, the nation's number one Juco uh, defensive back, Campbell Dolby coming from Miami, NEO. That's a good start, but I, I, we'll see how active they can be and how successful they can be because they're competing, as we know, at the very top, and they're in on some of the same guys. Bringing it back to Dion, uh, who are getting offers from Colorado right now, and, and that is, I, I think as it relates to the portal with just about everybody, the big wild card. It's just what is Colorado? What is the pull? What kind of money are they operating with? Um, if USC was kind of the, the disruptor last year, it might be Colorado this year. And with Dion, you never know, and I'm not saying this – in any terms of me completely understanding, but with Dion in year one at Colorado, it may not even be like an over-the-top NIL-type situation for them about what they have. It may just be for the opportunity to go play with Dion in year one to turn things around. Because the thing that's brilliant about what Dion's done, Eli, to me anyway, is it's like he goes to Colorado and – I know that they're they're putting in work and they have to send out offers, but you can go to, to Colorado as Dion and they will essentially come to you, correct? I mean, look at all the guys that have that have openly talked about it. I mean, they said they had two hundred that were reaching out to them within just a twenty four hour period. It's crazy. I mean, there's nothing hotter in college football right now and we'll we can look at this in six months, twelve months, twenty four months, and maybe we'll we'll look back and laugh and say, Man, remember when Dion showed up there and talked a big game and uh, everyone was interested, and, and here we are at the end of you know what turns into a dumpster fire. But on the flip side of that, everybody in college football is talking about Deion Sanders, kids who, who I don't think would have been talking about Colorado or going to Colorado or thinking about that. I mean, if they really do swing getting Travis Hunter there, you're talking about the nation's number one commit from a year ago, and he's perfect evidence of the fact that Deion Sanders, no matter where he's been, uh, I mean, it's, it's only really been Jackson State, but in the places he's been, has been able to get talent and players that should not traditionally have been in those places who traditionally could have gone to bigger uh, and better programs. And so uh, he, he's got that pull. There's no doubt about that. That's really the point of hiring him. And if you want that case in point, uh, whatever day it was that morning that uh, before CU hired him, not all that relevant as a football program in, in 2022. By that night, 
with Deion Sanders in the fold, uh, you could say nothing more relevant uh, than CU football right now, and that's the Deion effect. Eli Letterman is our guest here via the Oklahoma Four Dealers hotline. Uh, Nick Evers, who had a grand total of what, five or six snaps, I think, on offense, um, decides to jump in the portal knowing with what you have coming in next year, not really surprised by that, but this is just another one of those instances where the portal affects the quarterback position as much as any, and I don't know what the future of the backup position actually looks like for a lot of these schools, but Evers kind of sees the writing on the wall and says, all right, it's time for me to actually go find somewhere where I feel like I can actually contribute. Yeah, I think that's, if we we always say, like, welcome to the new world of, of the transfer portal and all this, I think the reality with quarterbacks is really stark there is, is that every single class, I mean, you hear it from kind of the, the coaching and, and program building end is you need to have a quarterback, but there's only one guy who can play those, those snaps every year in an ideal world. And then in an ideal world, you've got a quarterback eventually who can start for three, four straight seasons. So that just by nature is going to keep, you know, talented kids you'll recruit to Oklahoma. Oklahoma should always be able to get talented quarterbacks, uh, to come to Norman, but then when you keep doing that, you stack them year by year, and one of those years you've got Jackson Arnold coming, the five-star from Denton Guy who's still playing in the Texas State playoffs and, and really looks like he could be that next exciting Oklahoma quarterback prospect, a four-star quarterback who was ninth in the nation in last year's recruiting class, uh, suddenly finds himself you know, wondering what that path looks like, and that's why someone like uh, Nick Evers jumps into the portal with, with all of his eligibility, only a year removed from being a top 10 quarterback in, in last year's class. So plenty of opportunity there for him. But I think that's just an example of, of what it's going to look like from now on. You'll recruit quarterbacks in particular who will come in with, with high potential and who folks will be excited about. But th- that only lasts as long as the next quarterback comes in. So you go and you play a Florida State team uh, there in the uh, Cheez-It Bowl, which uh... – I don't know if you've signed up, right, to stay in the uh, Cheez-It suite that's going to be there on the sideline. And if you do, Eli, please bring me back a box of Cheez-Its, the toasted ones, please. They were rather tasty. Uh, you're playing a Florida State team, pretty dynamic offense, who's showing signs of of turning it around from where they have been as of late. And I I get the sense that there's a little bit of a different approach because it's like, I haven't seen many from Florida State say that they're not in on this. And we were talking with Dusty Dvorak the other day about this from everything that he's heard as well, is that you could be seeing a, a Florida team, a Florida State team that was, was good and is going to have close to a, a full arsenal that you're playing against uh, in, a, in a bowl game there in Orlando. Um, it's just weird to think about that Oklahoma could go into this game and lose and come out with it with a losing record overall for the first year of Brent Venables. Yeah, I think, um, you know, well, first and foremost, I'll, I'll launch my campaign to stay in the cheese at room, at least for one night. I, I don't know if I could, if I could bear the whole stay in Orlando, but that yellow and red tie, you know, Florida ceiling room, I'll, I'll stay at night. Well, did you see they have the one for the sideline too? Oh no, I missed that. So yeah, from what so from what I understand, they not only have the cheese at room at the hotel, that's for the players, but I believe a fan 
is going to have there's going to be some get up on the sideline if and, and I could be completely reading that press release wrong that I saw but what it looked nope, like was it had it on the sideline right where there was like an end table and the chair you basically take that hotel room and then it's like you're on the set of a movie and you're putting that on the sideline somewhere which is odd but also awesome at the same time to just kick the feet up and be obnoxious as you know what, and eat cheese. It's the entire game while you're there on the sidelines. Certainly. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna need to investigate. Maybe there will be some good investigative journalism done on that front as it relates uh, what's gonna go on on the field against Florida State. You you kind of laid it out, and, and what Dusty told you lays it out. We're talking about a Florida State team that's that's won five of its oh, each of its last five games, top twenty defense, one of the best offenses in the country. Uh, and so already you see some mismatches there. I mean, they're they're going to be able to do things to, to Oklahoma, at least on paper, that have given has given the Sooners troubles all year. They they run well. They have a mobile quarterback. They produce big plays uh, against an offensive line that'll be down two starters. Uh, they've got Jared Verse, who's a really versatile uh, pass rusher, and he'll get into the backfield. All of that does not spell great for for the Sooners on paper. And then as you point out. Um, it doesn't look like we're going to have any opt-outs. It doesn't look, uh, at least on, on a, a large scale. I mean, Jordan Travis, the Florida State quarterback, uh, announced his intention not only to play in the bowl game but to return next year uh, earlier this week. And so it looks like it's going to be a full-strength or close to full-strength Florida State team against an OU team that is, is down and, and coming at the end of a, a year where they're sitting 6-6 six and six and will come in with no Eric Gray, no Anton Harrison, no Juan A. Morris. So you do you, you wonder you know really what what it's going to look like when we get to to December 29th and I think to just close that point on Florida State and and how they might approach this you know, you're looking at, at Mike Norvell and where they're at this could be the the, the big win to cap off 2022 that sends them into next year when you'd probably project them to to open the year as a, a top 10 team so it's, it's not going to be easy for the Sooners in Orlando and it it may well uh, not be all that pretty it may not uh, but. Brent Venables has been pretty clear about just what this means in year one of getting those extra practices and just kind of laying the foundation of his own right. It may not be at the same level right now that's happening at Florida State and ramping up, but you can use that to ramp up in your own way for 2023 uh, with a bowl game like this, no matter what the outcome is. Certainly, and that's why you know I think it's almost worth separating, and Brent Venables hit on this a little bit. Uh, the game will be what it will be, and it, it's important, um, I'm sure, in many ways, but I, I think the bigger thing here, and it's why just getting two bowl season, making a bowl game was so important, are these extra practices. And Brent Venables referred to it as essentially an extra spring practice. Uh, and it's, it's this amazing thing. I don't, I, I don't know that even many of the casual fans out there think of it this way, but um, the rich get richer in college football. If you make a bowl game, if you're one of the teams that can get to minimum six wins, you get you know an extra month of practice. And that's where, as, as you look at these Sooners and figuring out you know, which of these young guys can contribute moving forward? Who can be the guys that even when spring camp starts can be contending for those depth spots on the depth chart? Uh, that's what this next month is for. It's, it's not so much, I'd imagine, about prepping the, the perfect game plan to, to slow down that Florida State offense, which I'm sure will be part of, the, part of it, but it, it's that development month, and it's an extra month, an extra uh, essentially off-season practice schedule, 15 practices that – that really, I, I think, are, are far more important to the Sooners than what will happen on, on December 29th. By the way, I did a little research, and I was correct. 
So not only will a, a select few college athletes spend the nights in the redesigned rooms that feature Cheez-It boxed bedside table lamps, Cheez-It plush pillows, and of course, orange and yellow mood lighting, but the snack brand is also providing a few lucky fans with a chance to spend the night at the host stadium and then watch the game from Cheez-It sponsored on-field suites. The, seat, the suites will replicate the hotel rooms and be positioned in the end zones at Camping World Stadium. So there you go. They're going to replicate that hotel room and throw it in the end zone. And they're going to do a couple of these where you can stay the night there and watch the game from that on-field suite, branded Cheez-It. Now, is there anything in there about... Like lowly newspaper reporters will do just about I, anything for like a modicum of notoriety. I have no idea, but I'm telling you that that to me would be almost as cool as being the uh, Duke's Mayo Bowl Mayo dumper on one of the coaches. Like if you could win that, yeah. And I, there's a link here that says win the spot, and when I click on it, it doesn't go anywhere. So when if I find the enter to win here, I will sign you up for it, Eli, so you can go and potentially take part in this. <laughs> There we go. I, That's I like awesome. That. That's the kind of I need from from Poplin and the Blitz. There is no no doubt. All I ask in return is just one box of Cheez-Its, my friend. Just one box. All right, dude. We can arrange. Appreciate you, man. Thank you for uh, taking a few moments to come on with us, and uh, always appreciate when you do. All righty. Thanks. All right. That's Eli Letterman joining us here on the Blitz 1170 via the Tulsa World and the Oklahoma Ford Dealers Hotline. Let's take a timeout. When we come back, Matt, would you stay in that? That's a dumb question. Of course you would. And Thank you for listening to this exclusive Blitz 1170 podcast from Bravado Wireless.